Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 20, and we're going through the Ten Commandments, Jesus, the Ten Commandments and Jesus. And so let's look here at, at this. And we, are, <clears throat> we did a couple of introduc introductory type messages um, from this passage here talking about the idea of God's Ten Commandments, and they're good for you. We're starting to become a very, um, in our country, we're, we're starting to flip everything on its head, think laws that uh, have been good and helpful, we're trying to oh, oh, you know, flip them over and say they're bad and, and all this, and uh, laws that are bad, we're starting to push in your face, and um, <clears throat> the Bible talks about People who forsake the law, there's a proverb that says, they that forsake the law praise the wicked. And people who are against God's Ten Commandments or against just basic moral standards and that are decent, that have been good for 7,000 years or so, whatever, uh, now they think they're bad. And so um, wicked people tend to uh, want to get rid of you know, good things, like even just the display of the Ten Commandments. But um, um, this passage here uh, talks about God writing them in stone. And that has the idea that they're timeless. And so these 10 uh, principles, these 10 uh, guidelines are meant for many societies, not just Israel. So let's look here at Exodus chapter 20. And this is the account when God verbalized it. It was vocalized. And then later on another trip up the mountain, it was written in stone. Um, Exodus chapter 20, and again, the context is many people are at the base of Mount Sinai, and they are listening to God vocalize this, and God vocalizes His Ten Commandments here, and we're going to focus on what would be considered the second of the Ten Commandments about not having any graven images. So please be patient. We're going to read this section, and then we're going to read a little bit more that pertain to that second command, okay? Exodus chapter 20. And verse 1, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's the first, what we would consider the first commandment. Second commandment takes up a couple more verses. Right here, verse 4, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Go down the chapter there. And after God gave the Ten Commandments, He actually reiterated one here. Look at verse 22. Look at verse 22 and 23. Same chapter. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. He didn't say, you see what I look like. Right. You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Now look at the next verse. You shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall you make 
unto you gods of gold. They wouldn't know what they're making anyways. All right, let's go to uh, hold your place because we'll come back to Exodus 20 and go to Isaiah. Um, Let's go to Isaiah, a couple passages in Isaiah, Isaiah 42. And what I'm trying to highlight is these instances where God emphasizes the command to not make an idol of him or of anybody else. Isaiah 42. Just look at verse 8, and then we'll go to another chapter. Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, Jehovah. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. God doesn't want to give glory to anything that's visually representing Him that people would just fawn over. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 46. We'll read a few more verses in this chapter. This chapter is actually, Isaiah is describing the false gods that some of the people were following in Babylon, Bel and Nebo. And they, anytime you carve an image or make a, a picture or carve out something, you're trying to show what something looks like. But look what God says about himself, Isaiah 46 verse 5. And following, we'll read about five verses or so here. Isaiah 46, verse 5, God says, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me, that we may be like? They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance and hire a goldsmith, and he maketh it a god. They fall down, yea, they worship. They bear him upon the shoulder, and they, they carry him and set him in his place, and he standeth. From his place he shall not remove. Yea, one shall cry unto him, yet can he not answer, nor save him out of his trouble. Remember this, and show yourselves men. Bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors. Look at verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. This passage, they say, again, back to Exodus 20, we'll, we'll spend some time there and, and compare a few other scriptures. But the second command <clears throat> pertains to making kind of a cheap prop of God, props of God, and focusing on something visually or some object that is, that is garnering your affection and your attention, whether you think it is God, or you know it's not, you just got your attention anyways and it's becoming God. See, the first command is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You can do that commandment. You can break that commandment without engraving, engraving something. You can have some other thing that's your affection, some other thing that's before you without actually whittling out something of God. So it's talking about priority. God is a priority. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. God first. First when I seek, first in my week, first in my day, first in my pay. God first. That's saying I'm not going to have any other gods before me. That's that first command. This other one has the idea of, of carving out something, of making something visual, 
of, of uh, trying to replicate God with your hands. Just think about all the words there, chapter 20, verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Once I begin to make something, what does that something become? My creation. And I'm the maker. So God says, don't be trying to make something of another God or something of likeness of me. Now, some of us right now, we're sitting here like, well, good thing. Good thing I'm good on this command, Pastor. I don't pray into Mary and kissing statues and stuff like that, Pastor. I don't do that stuff or the, the fat Buddha guy. I don't do that. Good thing I got this one down, Pastor. We're good. Maybe. You know, when I was a kid, my dad had a guy he worked with. He's actually, his first name was Henry. And he, my dad, and he, he worked at um, uh, the General Motors Desert Proving, Desert Proving Grounds, which used to take up a large area in Southeast Mesa by Ellsworth and Warner. And it's pretty much gone now. Um, my dad worked with this guy named Henry. And one time, dad took me. Henry, he lived in Coolidge, right? So I remember dad taking me. To, with him to Coolidge to Henry's house. And, um, and Henry had a son about my age. I think he was maybe a few years younger. And um, I brought my bike, and Henry and his son had his bike. And so it was actually a nice spot. I, it, seemed, it wasn't like kind of the, you know, it was a little more rural. It seemed like his house was maybe a couple of acres. It, was, it wasn't that close with other people's houses. It was a little more spread out. I think there was a dirt road or something by his house. And it felt a little bit more like you were out of the city, even though there was a few houses around you. And so it was nice going there. I remember spending part of the day um, riding bikes with this guy's son. I can't remember the guy's son's name. And so we're riding bikes, and he's, he's riding his bike, and I'm riding my bike. And you got to see, you got to see, this is, a, this is a, a criticism on me. I thought I was cool. And um, I, my bike, I knew my bike was cool because it, it was probably a GT or some diamond. I can't remember what one it was. It was a nice bike, you know, a little BMX-style bike. I mean, it wasn't as cool as brother Rusty. Rusty was really cool because he did bike racing over there in Chandler. He was really cool. Anyways, but I was kind of like under the Rusty cool on my bike. And so I had, a, I had a little BMX bike. And not only that, but my handlebars were set just right on my bike. You don't want the handlebars like this on your BMX bike. That's dumb. You want them like that. You want them like that right there. And so, because you know why? Because that's how the cool kids had it. So that must mean it's cool. And so I remember riding this, my bike, and I was like this, and then, and then we traded, and I rode his bike. And when I rode his bike, I was like, this is kind of a nerdy bike, because the handlebars are like this. And it's kind of like, it just looks dumb. And I remember having this mentality, this little arrogant, whatever I was, 10, 11-year-old mentality, like, this kid's not cool. So I insisted, hey, man, well, let's go into the garage. I need to change your handlebars. I'm going to change them. And so we went in the garage. He's like, oh, please. So we go in there, and I take the wrench, and I go like this, and I go, mm, like that. And I'm like, that's how you want to have them. That's how they are. That's how they should be. And I tightened it up, and I'm like, there we go. And I rode it around, and 
and then we, he, he rode mine, then we switched. And then I remember before the end of the day, before the end of the time that I left, he went back in the garage and he, un, he loosened it back and put it back how he liked it. And I thought, what's he doing? Doesn't he know? This is how it should be, you know? I wanted it this way. He wanted it that way. But then I started realizing as I left him, like, it's not even my prerogative to change his bike to make it how I want. You know, some people have that, some people have a mentality of graving, engraving God. Some people have a mentality about God as, you know how I like God? I like him like this. We don't have the prerogative to change or to create ideas of God that he hasn't told us or tailoring God to be how we want him to be. Just because you think God is something doesn't mean he is. Just because you come up with a cool idea about God doesn't mean he is. The only way we know who God is, you can see a little bit in nature, but you see very objectively in the Bible. And God, it's not my prerogative to design God, but to discover him as he is. It's not our prerogative to mold God, but to be molded by God. So here's a question as we look into this, and we're, we'll just walk through some of the stuff he says. What do you make of God? What do you make of him? Do you make anything of him? Um, so let's look at three parts to this kind of our, some of the wording here. We see the restriction of this, the actual restriction of this command. We'll see the reasons for the command, and then we'll see a realization about this command. Three, kind of three points of discussion around this of this first of this uh, command not to have a graven images. Think about this now. Okay, so this he gives a restriction. That's what several of the Ten Commandments are, the restrictions. And restrictions aren't always bad. You need to kind of be, uh, we need to be regulated and honed in, and it keeps us from going crazy. So God says he restricts how we are to uh, worship him. Verse 3, uh, verse 4, Thou shalt not make unto thee. Any graven image. And again, he's speaking in personal terms. You don't make, well, this is for me. I know all the other Israelites, go, but for me, I think God looks like this. I'm going to make unto me this. God, I just think of God as just a nice, big, nice elephant. And I want a graven elephant. That's for me. God says, you don't make unto you, you to thee, any graven image. Don't He restricts, don't start carving out some visual thing or conceptual thing of him that's not true. Don't make any likeness. What is it? A thing in heaven above. There's nothing in heaven above that's... I mean, God uses some similes like a, under he carries us under his wings, something like that. But you can't say, oh, that's God, the eagle. Or that's God, the bear. Or that's God, the snake. Don't make any likeness of any of those things. God puts a restriction here on making a graven image that we purport to be him or to represent him and it to become an object of worship. That's why it's like, you know, and we'll balance this out. I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have flash, a Becca flashcards and some pictures to help teach. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But boy, we cannot get all superstitious, even about this building. You know, we come in this building, we want to, we contain our behavior a certain way so we can learn and worship. But it's only, you know, you don't get all superstitious about this building even. It's the building. The temple is you. He lives in you now if you're saved. You should be much, 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 much more careful about this temple than this. 
because he's walking around in this one all the time. You know, God's omnipresent in that sense, but it's not, he's not like existing in this building as neatly as he is in you. So sometimes we can get superstitious about stuff, about a picture of Jesus or about a, a you know, a cross and, and, and all these goofy things. God says, don't, don't do that and don't make it where it becomes an object of worship. So here's what this, is, this restriction is not saying. Follow me. God, when he says, don't make any graven images, he's not, he's not banning creativity. God's not even banning the idea of actually making a carving of something. Or a statue. It's not intrinsically wrong to have a statue of something or a picture. You see, God himself has an Ark of the Covenant that he tells Moses how to make in this very book. And on the lid of that Ark, he said, carve out two cherubims. Put them right there. You can't carve out me. I'm going to be in that spot in the middle above the mercy seat. And so it, it, later on in Exodus, you can see Exodus 25, verses 18, to 20, he says, carve out the cherubims. Cherubims were not the St. Valentine's cherubims, but they were some type of mighty angel that are very close to the presence of God. They knew more what a cherub, they were more likely to know what a cherubim looked like than God. <laughs> it's easier to carve out what a cherubim looks like than God. Who is like him? So he says, you can carve that out, put that on there. When, when, when uh, Solomon made this temple, he had, a, he had, a, he had a, he a grand thing. It was the same size holy place, but he had massive cherubims in that holy of holy place. So it's not intrinsically wrong to have a statue. Even in the temple of Solomon, they had carvings of, of cherubims and palm trees and a few other things. And so uh, there's that. In fact, Moses... Or, uh, um, Solomon, man, this guy just amplified everything. When they had a big water thing, basin, he had this massive, massive bowl. I can't remember if it was brass or whatever it was. And he had these 12 oxen that were statues that were holding it up. And, and nobody really made it. They could have made, I suppose, worship it. But the idea was that it's okay to have some creativity. It's okay to have that. God's not saying don't have creativity, don't have some artwork. Nor is God saying he's not, this isn't a restriction of creativity, nor is it a restriction of communicating, of communication. You know what Jesus would do when he was on the earth? He'd say, look at the, look at the tree, look at the fig tree. He'd use a picture to communicate. Oh, look at the lilies, Jesus would say. God took care of those lilies today. Look at the flowers of the field. Behold, the sower went forth to sow. Watch out for the birds. They're going to come. Jesus pointed out imagery in his day. It's okay to use some imagery to communicate. It's what is it becoming? What is it becoming is the idea. So Jesus uh, tells us and shows us by example that this idea of grave, it doesn't mean you can't use pictures. It's like what's happening? Verse 5, are we bowing down to them? See, God's elaborating on this. Thou shalt not bow down to them nor serve them. So that, I mean, we got a little cross carved out here. You know, typically in a Baptist church, nobody's going to get to, it's like, okay, it's a reminder. But some other people might be like, oh, wait a minute, you got to walk around that. They might get a little superstitious. No, no, it's just, it's, you know. 
And so God makes this restriction here. Uh, let's move along here. He's, he's, what is he restricting? The idea of contriving, of fashioning something either in vis- visually or conceptually that you end up worshiping. Some people worship a God they've carved in their own mind and that God doesn't exist. I don't think God would ever send somebody to hell. Well, the God you've carved out in your mind probably wouldn't send anybody to hell because you carved them out in your mind. But the God of the Bible, it's different. Sometimes people, um, they'll carve out something visually and they get focused on it. Even in this very book, look at this. We're in Exodus 20. Later on, Moses goes up on the mountain. Some, some days later, Israelites are like, man, we're bored. We're bored. Aaron, make us some gods. We're bored. And Aaron, so Exodus 32, Aaron's like, oh, bring me your earrings and your gold and stuff. We'll do something about this. And he, they brought it, and he, with an engraving tool, he made a golden calf. And, and they're all like, whoa, whoa, look at that. And he's like, these be thy gods, O Israel, which delivered thee out of the land of Israel. Tomorrow is a feast unto the Lord. And just like, You're, what's wrong with you, Aaron? And they got all, oh, look at this golden calf. And they, they, they worshiped the golden calf. And then it affected, their morals were all of a sudden different too. You know, the God you choose will affect the morals you, you, you live with. And so this God, like with this God, with this God, I'm allowed to fornicate. With this God, I'm allowed to whatever. And so they, they, they made themselves a God. It was a calf, and they, they got out of hand. And, and Moses comes down and busts that Ten Commandments, and God gave him another chance. God says, don't be doing that stuff. Don't be doing that. An image of him visually or conceptually. Look at, go to, we've looked at this before, but hold your place. Go to Romans 1. Romans 1. Paul describes societies doing this. You know, and it's not like, well, Pastor Henry, you see, that's some kind of, that's some kind of, you know, in the jungle type people that they just, they're, they're uneducated, they're uncultured, and so they go to that stuff. Not, it's not always that. There's very, there's other people that they become so wise, they become fools, and they change God's glory. Look at, um, sorry, Romans 1.21. It says, because that when they knew they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Okay, that was Romans 1.21. When people start saying, watch this. Okay, here's the deal. When people start saying no to the Bible, and this includes you in here. You start saying no to God. No to the Bible. We don't need the, the Christian ethic. We don't need semblances. And they start saying no to that, no to that, no to that. While they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither became thankful. They will become vain in their imagination. You'll, you'll still come up with something, and it's futile. It's ridiculous. And your foolish heart is darkened, even if you have multiple degrees and teach at an Ivy League school. And professing, verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image like, made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth. Here's a kind of a key verse, verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature, the created thing, more than the creator was blessed forever. 
a lot of times people, societies that reject God still end up having a God, the, the, the created things, the animals. And animal rights becomes incredibly amplified. You know, you can look at certain types of animal ethics in the Bible that are reasonable, but when people put off God, that might get amplified more. No, we need to have an attorney for that dolphin, you know? And he's like, we, we snicker that some of this stuff's happening. And so they start bring, elevating created things to the point where, wait, what, what, this is out of balance. Or we need to have international laws about climate injustice, you know. And people are more concerned about climate injustice than moral injustice. That's what's going to happen when you say no to the things of God. Your foolish heart gets darkened. You profess yourself to be wise and you look like a fool. But anyway, so we're talking about back at Graven. So sometimes people can, they can become with a ultra-focused on animals or creative things or nature worship. Or, you know, sometimes people among us, among our type, just get focused on other people. I've seen Christians just make an idol of a pastor or of a preacher, of some leader of some movement. And they always talking about Dr. So-and-so, Dr. So-and-so, and I read back Dr. So-and-so. And that everything's about this one person. It's like, you've made this guy a graven image. Um, sometimes people make, a, make an idol of their own family. They get focused on their family, and everything's about the family. And when the family fails, their world falls apart. Like, too much. People can make idols out of things that are never meant to take God's place. Sometimes we can make an idol of, you know, something that was good, but it just went too far. It's kind of like the, um, what did they do? They, Moses, when the, when the people were bitten by the serpent in the wilderness, God says, hey, make this a pole, and the serpent on the pole, and hold it up. If anybody else humble enough to look at it, they'll be healed. And so Moses made that serpent on the pole, and some years later, they, they kept that brazen serpent on the pole, which is the symbol that you see on the side of the ambulances. That's where it came from. And then they went, ah, oh, I remember that. And they started worshiping, and they went a-whoring after this bra- brass pole. And one of the, I don't remember if it was Gideon or one of these guys, who was it? One of the guys later on went and says, he cut it up. He says, it's brass. Quit worshiping this thing. It's a piece of brass. Sometimes you can take something that started out as a good symbol. This was a symbol of Jesus. Jesus was put as a curse up on the cross for us. But if you look to him, you're forgiven of the curse that's on you. As the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. We look to Jesus, I get that forgiveness. You can take something that's a symbol and make it into a God. That's what they did. Even a cross, it's a symbol. We don't make it into a god or a lucky charm. Whether you wear a cross or not, I don't care. But don't think it's going to help you run better. You know, your relationship with God might. Anyways, people do this. You know, it's like the one I read about this guy. He's a, he was a missionary, and he, he told this story. I don't know if I have it in front of me. But he basically told this story about, like, some native people were given a sundial. You know what a sundial is, right? It's like a that thing, it's like a, almost like a big triangle thing and sets there and it point north and then the sun goes and it helps you tell, we know kind of what time of the day. 
a sundial based on the casting of the shadow from the sun on it. And they had this sundial. And these people got, were given this sundial in this one tribe. And they're like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. I don't know if they were that busy, if they really cared about time. But they're like, wow, this is awesome. You know what they ended up doing? They ended up thinking so highly and so much of it, they put it in a hut. Put it, housed it. Yeah, somebody got that. They put a house over it. Well, that ain't going to do you any good anymore. You know, you take something that has its original intent. It's lost its original intent. That can happen with us. You know, something can lose its original intent and become a god, become overmuch. So God says don't have any graven images. You know, though, that um, it's going to come to a point where God's just going to let people have what they've been wanting. Look in Revelation 13. I hope you're getting this. God's saying, don't get wrapped up on statues and pictures and worship them. Stop. You know, in the book of Revelation, in the future, it talks about some prophecy. God is sending certain judgments and punishments on the earth, and part of the thing He's trying to do is get them to stop being idolaters and worship Him and accept Christ as their Savior, and they won't stop their idolatry. Neither... Did they quit their, I'm paraphrasing, neither repented they of their fornications and their adulteries and their idolatry and their murders and their thefts. They wouldn't repent, even though God was sending these systematic judgments on the earth, like, and some of them blasphemed God. They would not stop worshiping things. So, God says, you want that? Okay. He sends them strong delusion through the Antichrist, Revelation 13. He's called the beast here. Revelation 13, the beast, he's a very deceptive and charismatic leader that will run the world. And he's got a sidekick called the false prophet. And this false prophet says in Revelation 13, he's also called the, um, I think he was called the, the other dragon here. Revelation 13, 12, Revelation 13, 12, he, that's the beast's sidekick, exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the beast. People will finally worship a man, a Messiah type, Antichrist. He causes them to worship him whose deadly wound was healed. Look at verse 13, Revelation 13, 13. He doeth great wonders. That is the sidekick to the Antichrist. He doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire to come down from heaven on the side of, in the sight of men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by, mean, by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. See, this this Antichrist gets injured and he's recovered and they think it's a miracle. And they said, well, then let's worship him. Let's make an image to him. And notice what happens, Revelation 13, 15. This will happen one day. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause. He's going to respond back to the worshipers cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Whoa! I know we don't maybe see all this clearly, but basically it's saying, hey, one day the world's going to get their leader that they finally like, and they're going to worship him, and his sidekick's going to make an image, and it won't be plain and a Michelangelo thing. It's going to be amazing. It's going it's it's to interchange with people, and it'll punish people who don't worship it. It gets animated with demonic, supernatural power. 
And I was like, okay, if that's what you want, that's what you get. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is one day people that are very fixed on things and images and graven images, they're going to get the ultimate thing and they're going to be deceived. But we say, no, I don't need to make an image of God. I don't need to worship a picture of Jesus. I don't need to kiss a, a relic. I don't need to, so-called, uh, could have come out of a souvenir store. Um, I, don't need to, I don't need to make much of some substance, some visual thing that is either I think is God or looks like God. I don't need to do that. God says, don't be doing that stuff. And here's a reason. Let's move along. The next thing is his reason. He has many reasons, but here's one. Look what he says. Verse 5, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. Why? For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. You know, when, if, we, if God sees us get fall, you know, getting all enamored with some picture or some symbol or some statue or maybe just some person that's living and walking that you just really, really love and you nearly worship them anyways as if they're God. When God sees you loving anybody more than Him, that's, idol that's idolatry. Anybody I love more than the Lord Jesus Christ, that's idolatry. Bowing down to them, serving them. And you know what God says? You're making me jealous. Well, He says, I am jealous. And you've heard me say this. Jealous means I am possessive over that which I rightfully possess. I own you. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now you're going over here. Hey, you're mine. Somebody's tried to flirt with my wife. I'm jealous. Why? She's mine. If somebody flirts with another person or whatever, I can't be jealous because they have nothing to do with me. God says, I'm jealous. Aren't you glad God's jealous of you? I'm glad God's jealous of me. He's a little agitated in a positive way when I'm focused on something else. He's like, hey, what about me? I'm the one who saved you. That's just a dead thing. That's just a celebrity. They can't do anything for you. They don't even know you exist. That's just a picture. That's just the thing of Mary that everybody goes and fawns over. They're not going to do anything for you. I'm the one who's saved you. I'm the one who lives in you. I'm the one who provides for you. God's like, I'm jealous. Turn to me. God's, his jealousy is a reason why we shouldn't get enamored with some person idol, icon, whatever. Or even something that you think in your mind, that you've graved an idea, a false idea that you've made of God in your mind that you bow to. No, I need to discover God, keep discovering God, not design Him. All right, let's move along here. He says he's jealous. And the, the language here is interesting. There's a positive, there's a negative and a positive aspect of his jealousy. He says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Most of us studied this. One of the things in discerning this, it can't be saying that God punishes your kids for the sins you've done. It can't be saying that because God says, I don't do that. I don't punish children for the sins of the fathers, nor do I punish the fathers, fathers for the sins of the children. He says that. So what it's, most people, the consensus is what he's saying is, is that, did you, what I believe it's saying is, the, the way I perceive and worship God, my kids observe that, and it, and it tends to, they tend to pick up on that. If you, had a, if you had a parent that was very, very much into 
beads and crosses and pictures and stuff like that, you were probably drawn to be that way. You know? You're drawn to be that, and it, and it tends to carry itself. Well, that's what my mom, my dear, dear, my dear grandmother would, you know, do this rosary thing or do this prayer thing. So you, you tended to want to do that, even though it was wrong. It tends to have a generational pull. The way I worship God will tend to affect my kids. God says, we visit that iniquity unto these other generations. Verse 6, he says, showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandment. Those that really honor him and love him and put aside the commandments, he shows mercy to. Thousands, thousands are like that. So God is jealous. And then, so we see a restriction, we see a reason. Then the third, the third thing I want you to see is back at, is this realization. Look at verse 22 and 23 again. So we're talking about graven images and you know, Israel had a problem with this. They made idols and they bowed to it. And, and sometimes people worship nature and sometimes people just make an idol in their mind of God. God says, don't do that. Don't focus on these visual things or these things that you contrived. And so remember, let's go back to this thing. Here's a realization he gives. And here's this third emphasis, verse 22. The Lord said unto Moses, Thou shalt say unto the children, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. So what he did was he had all the Israelites come by the base of the mountain, a lot of them, one or two million people. The mountain was, there was a smoke and there was a fire and it was trembling and everything. And they, it was a fearful sight. And all this kind of this uh, stage drama, for lack of a better term, all this drama. And in all that scene, God didn't say, here I am, come floating down like some kind of, you know, um, anyways, like some kind of drama where some person floating down and, uh, everybody, this is who I am. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking of some Mormon play, sorry. Um, floating down, ah, here I am, do you see me now? Okay, you should have no other guys before me. I'm the one that delivered you. There was no person there like that. He said, you heard a voice. You have seen that I talked with you from heaven. So you don't make unto me graven I, gods of silver, gods of gold. I don't need that. Hold your place, please, and go to Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4. It's, he's getting to a point, <clears throat> this, this um, thing, this realization here, I'll try to state it in just a moment. Deuteronomy 4, 12. Deuteronomy 4, 12, it says, The Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire. Referring to this moment. The Lord spake out of the middle of the fire. It, it, it wasn't about the fire. You just, ye heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude. Only ye heard a voice. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, Deuteronomy 4. Again, Israel was tended to just go to the visual, go to carved images. And he says, Deuteronomy 4.15, Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. You didn't see some image of me. Last, verse 16, you corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flieth in the air. Verse 18, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth. 
and last, verse 19, thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars and even all the hosts and shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them which the Lord thy God hath uh, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven but verse 20 the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace even out of Egypt to be unto him a people of inheritance as ye are this day look quickly at verse 31 or verse 32 verse 32 for ask now, he's telling Israel, this is some couple thousand years ago, whatever it was, 3,000 perhaps. He says, for ask now of the days that are past, which were before thee, since the day that God created man upon the earth, ask from one side of the heaven unto the other, whether there hath been any such thing as this great thing is, or has it, hath it been heard like it? Did ever people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as thou hast heard and live? Do you realize this? Jewish people, 3,000 or whatever it was, 3,500 years ago, one or two million of them heard the voice of the Creator out of fire, and they still lived. Now, they didn't think. They were like, whoa. They heard it, and, they, and we have their scriptures, and the scriptures of Jesus, and Jesus came, and he's like, did you ever hear anybody else can claim that? Any other people can claim that? Nope. Maybe one individual can, like a Muhammad or a Joseph Smith has no witnesses. But nobody else can say that. Look what he says. Verse 34, Hath God essayed to go and take him a nation from the midst of another nation? By temptations, by signs and wonders, by war, by mighty hand, and by outstretched arm, and by great temp, uh, terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did before you in Egypt. He's basically saying, you are a special people, and I have given my word to you, through you. You are becoming the stewards of my oracles, the stewards of my sayings. And all the world's going to benefit from it. He says, shows that in other scriptures. So, but what's God emphasizing? He's emphasizing the fact, back at, the, back at chapter 20, verse 22, you have seen that I talked. And he emphasizes it later. What is he saying? He's saying, depend on the voice, not the visual. That's what he's saying to them. Do you realize I want you to depend on these... The what I vocalize to you, not what you can see. Because he says later on, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God doth man live, Deuteronomy 8 says. Depend on that. You don't have any, you don't have any picture to go with. You don't have any carving to go with. The voice, that's all you got. The voice. It's about all we got, huh? I mean, we have, we have a little more of the Holy Spirit. But that's the most objective thing is the voice of God right here in these pages. We were designed. Here's, here's what it's leading to. So watch this. He gave them Ten Commandments and the Ten Commandments. Don't have a graven image. Don't need that. You couldn't make me if you wanted to. Who's like me? What are you going to make? That, that fails. That, that's failed. That, that's not good enough. That, that's not good enough. You know, it's kind of like you when you're trying to make your own avatar. Eh, 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 eh. Anything we try to make of God is a, a cartoon at best. God said, like, you can't make me. You can't do that. Just, you saw that I talked. So what is that doing to us? It's forcing us. It's lifting us out of the, the living by sight, touchy-feely, and putting us in the realm of we have to live by faith. And faith in the words of God. That's the point of it. Get us to live by faith. Not by saying, we are designed to live by faith. Even Jesus said that, have faith. 
If a man believe, Paul says, man shall not, or man, Paul quoted one of the prophets who says, the just are going to live by faith. By faith, by grace, through faith, I'm saved. I walk by faith. I, if I don't see some image of God or some symbol or, you know, somebody says, did you know they found a piece of the cross? I don't care. Did you know that statue of Mary cried? Maybe it did because there's a demon in it. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm living by faith. And so people get, you know, we, we have to think that, what is God doing in this? I don't worry. God's trying to get us to live by faith. So, did you know, though, there's an image of God? Christ is the image of the invisible God. Now, having said that, that doesn't still mean you worship a picture of him. It's just that when Jesus came to earth, it was like in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God with us. The Word was made flesh. When, we, when people saw Jesus, they saw God humbled and looking like a common Israeli. There's God in the flesh. Now He's glorified, but He's still in His man, the Son of Man. And do you know that we are not to make anything of God? It's God making something of us. That's what's happening. But see, our world thinks, I want to make this of God, and I want to make this. We're Americans. We customize everything. I want to customize this, that. I'm going to order this little thing. My food, we customize everything. We think we can customize God. No, God is tailoring us. He's making me. He's mold, he wants to mold me. Let's go to those, some of those Bible verses. Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow them, also he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. Did you know what one person said, what God's trying to do in my life and your life is get, take away everything that doesn't look like Jesus so you'll start looking like His image. We'd be made to be conformed to the image of His Son. 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about us bearing the image of the heavenly. And 1 Corinthians 15.49, I'm just letting you see some of these. You can look up later. About... I am to be conformed to God's design. I don't, God, I don't conform God to the design I have. Ephesians 2.10 says that of a Christian, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he says, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In other words, I am the raw piece of wood that God's uh, milling out and chiseling out. I am His workmanship. He forms me, and he, I know what He wants me to look like. It's not a mystery. He wants me and you to be conformed to the image of Christ. And it's, more than, it's not just the visual. It's the spirit. It's the soul. It's the inner man. No graven images. I'm engraving you. So when I worship God, remember, don't get enamored with something. It's like my wife's right here. I have a picture probably of my wife on my phone. Okay, I know I do. But if I were to have this picture of my wife, see, my wife's right here. Imagine I have a picture of my wife on my phone. I'm like, oh. Mm. And I'm sitting there, my wife's right here. And I'm sitting there kissing the picture of my wife on my phone. Kissing the picture of my wife on my phone with her right next to me. That's as foolish as somebody kissing some picture of God. He hasn't left the room. He's very near to the one who calls on him. 
You know, somebody who's trying, uh, God, God hasn't left the room, so to speak. He's all-seeing. He's all-encompassing. All we need to do is worship Him in spirit and truth. So what do you make of God? Are you letting God make something of you? That's what we got to do. We are the clay. He's the potter. We're the object to be formed, and His goal is the image of Christ. Is that what you're doing in your life? Are you allowing him to mold you? Are you on the other side? Are you trying, are you discovering him more? Are you learning about him more? Are you depending on the voice? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. We hear the voice. Stop depending on what we see. Depend on the voice. God is should be the centerpiece of our life, and we worship Him by faith. Let's, let's pray together.